Kayak to my bold and the crew. Especially challenging to set this up in all the many cities and venues and the shkayach for the elam that's coming out because it's easier to give the shear when you're looking at the people, especially I'm looking at the people that I have uh, been looking at for about 20 years. So um, I know they listen well. That's why they were handpicked. And it's particularly heartwarming to see the tremendous uh, thirst of Klai Yisrael for the Dvar Hashem and to learn and to steig and to grow and everybody that's listening out there is included, not included as secondary, but everybody's doing what they can do, which is a big theme of tonight. And as we were speaking on the phone last week, so you asked me for a title, which you normally try to do a few weeks before. And doesn't work that quickly because there's so many things to speak about. I'd like to decide toward the end. And we left it with some questions and answers, although I highly doubt anybody here will have any time to ask any questions because the five or six or seven that I received, each one is enough for an hour or two. But if it triggers questions or if you can't hold yourself back, we can always try to put it in and save it for Mitzvah years to come, either in Yushalayim or other fine cities in Eitz Yisrael, or, or here, if we're still here. And I'm going to begin with one that I received at about 12 o'clock last night. Questions are written very well, and I, I threw out your email with Kadai because like to hear what's on people's mind, even though I'm pretty clear on what's on people's mind, because I hear about it all day and all night. Uh, the Shailas, Halacha, Ashkafa, we're going to start off. The bulk of this is going to be very important foundations in Hashkafa, and we're going to get, if we have time, to some of the Halachas that are unique to the summer, maybe even more unique to this summer. So let's begin with the first one, what I'm going to try to do to build a theme, I selected the first three because they had shaykhs. So if your question was sent in and we didn't get to it, it's not because it didn't fit in, but it didn't fit into the time frame. And the answer we're going to try to use is a theme that's found often in the Mechtam Elio from the G'dele HaMachshava, Mashkichim, and the last few deris, and you'll notice, as it is with Godel, who works on a theme, he will take a theme and work it through different sugyas, but you'll see that it's the same author. So let's begin with the question, and he writes as follows. How can a person stay relaxed and happy when they're davening for Yeshua from Hashem, and so far, Hashem's answer has been no. I've been asked this question hundreds of times in various forms, but he put it very well. And what will be in the future is unknown, so how do you deal with that, basically? So anybody who davens three times a day, which is everybody here, has no doubt whether 
we'd like to admit it or not, has no doubt thought about this shailam, crossed your mind. Maybe you got annoyed with yourself when it crossed your mind. No need to get annoyed. It's a legitimate question, and it's very important to address to figure out how we're supposed to deal with it. So a few hanochas and agdamas are in order, and I'm going to use them based on similar shaylas that I've dealt with. One fellow years ago came to me and he said, I want to know, is there a minimum, he wanted to really know about the maximum, shear of how long you're supposed to ask for something in davening and when you're allowed to stop? Similar question. When can you take it as a no? Is it a chutzpah to continue? And can you stop? Maybe it's a chutzpah to stop. It's lack of patience, lack of bitachin. So the first rule, I think, that is in order is that there's no iser to stop. If you're asking for something particular to your matzav, let's take uh, common examples. I don't know if you uh, have noticed in the middle of Shemana Esrei, there's a bracha that a lot of people have kavan on. Which bracha do you think I might be referring to? So the tzaddikim, right. Tzaddikim will say slach lanu, but the, uh, the honest people might say brach lanu, yeah. So. Nothing wrong with that. Panasa is a very chashavazach, and uh, you need to pay the bills, which is why, um, and slach lanu, yidn are into also, and atachainen, uh, without that, that's why it's the first bracha. If you don't know what to ask for, which is part of the shayla, if you don't know when to ask and how to ask, then the rest of Shemana is not going to go very well. So, baruchaleinu is about money. It's about panasa, and this is not downgrading the need, and the chashivas and the Gemaras talk about panasa and the chashivas of rain, which represents panasa. And uh, let's assume, as this person was assuming that I was assuming, he has what to eat and he has a decent panasa, but he was putting, which I often advise people, you don't have to do this either, but if you put in your own personal tefillahs, it makes the shmanase more real. We can touch more. So you're allowed to put in what's relatively urgent in a particular bracha, shmachalein a little more, after the rest of the end of a little more, and it becomes a conversation. You don't need that, because I'm put everything in. It's a conversation anyway, but on Armadriga, many people find that useful. So he tells me, which I wasn't surprised to hear, that in Berei Chalein, for many years, he's been asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for Parnasa, which he had already, a nice one, and thanking Hashem for that panasa in Medim. But in Berechalena, he was also putting in that it's very nice, but if I had a few more millions, or whatever the case may be, I have great plans for various uh, stalkers and Indiana, and he meant it. And, uh, nothing wrong with asking. Could be a little dangerous. Money like any brocha is a slippery slope, but no tainas. But he tells me he's been asking for many, many years. Should he give up? And he'll say, he has a nice panasa, and what does he need the extra money? He's asking many years. So I told him right away. I said, you didn't have to ask in the first place. Nothing wrong with asking. You could certainly stop. He said, well, is that a chisarin if I stop? I said, it's not a chisarin. He said, you don't have to focus on the same thing. And the reason is because the way this person phrases the question, I seem to be getting a no, so am I supposed to be relaxed and... He didn't spell it out, but, and give up, or should I keep on asking? Now, we're not bothering a Baruch Hu. 
So nothing wrong with asking. If it's not a frivolous request, then it's something that you feel you would use in your Avedis Hashem to help your friends and to help other Yidin and to help your family. And that could be Panasa, that could be other things as well. So the first rule is you don't have to ask for it. The second klal is, now we break this into two, the answer could very well be no, because either it's not good for you, and it's not one of the kalim you need in your Avodah Hashem, and it therefore would be damaging, it will be more of an Isayan, and therefore that's why you're allowed to stop. You don't have to stop, because it's hard to know which one of these multiple choices is going to be, but it's possible that the answer is no, because it's not good for you. The second part of that might be that it is good for you, but not yet. And Rav Dessel talks about this a lot, the changing levels of Bechira and the changing sets of Kalim that you pass this Isayan, you might get a different set of Kalim, and maybe you have the right to ask for it, and be nice to continue, and ultimately you will be zeichet to it when those circumstances present themselves, and they still need law to be able to bring it down. Otherwise, we don't have to for anything. But just wait till Hashem's ready to give us the Kalim. So the answer could be, no, it's not good for you, not now, not later. The answer could be, it's not good for you now. It might be good for you at a certain time. And thank you. And the third possibility might be that it's not good for you now and it'll be good for you later, but you need to dive in X amount of tefillahs, and there's a number. We're not privy to what that number is because that would make things easy. And not only do you need X amount of tefillahs, but you also need X amount of smusim, and a lot has to happen to be zeichet to that particular bracha. And... We will never know, because if we did, we'd be receiving Nevoahs every day, and uh, we're not on that Madrega, and we don't have access to it. In terms of remaining relaxed and happy, Samea Bechalka, so many people think Samea Bechalka means in Gashmias, money. Samea Bechalka, just as much, I think it's Pashat, means in Ruchnius as well, even though we were all taught and... There are many Gemaras that support this, and well taught by Rabbeim that you should not be some Ebuchalka. If you're learning X amount, you should add all the time and constantly push, and that's true. Let's say you're pushing, 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 you're asking Kosh Baruchu for even more Havana and a greater ability and the ability to learn another five hours and to sleep for only two, and the answer seems to be no. So, in terms of being relaxed and happy, if you know you're trying your hardest and you're davening the right way and you're davening for the right reasons and the answer is no right now, then you can taka be relaxed. The fact, point number two, the fact that you don't really know if you're trying hard enough, and it's hard to be honest with yourself, and you don't really know if your davening is on par and there's always room, room for improvement over there. So this part gets people a little nervous, and we'll explain as we go along why there's nothing to be nervous about, because this is the Avedis Hashem in life. There's a common misconception, and you sometimes hear it echoed by good people, well-intentioned. And these expressions, could uh, be gesund, just as long as they're happy, all expressions like that, like, if you ask them, just as long as they're happy, that's the main, what is the main, what is your goal in life? So many people say to be safe, to be secure, to be financially secure, to be healthy, to be happy. Anybody who thinks about it for a moment, anybody who's from who has a grounding in 
basic Ashkafa knows that all the things we just listed, although it's all over Shemana Esrei, we get Davin for each and every one of them, and we do, that's a means to the end. If do is Hashem B'Simcha is a very, very important part of Asiyah's mitzvahs. Being healthy is very important to be able to do more mitzvahs and have enough money to pay for everything. All these things are important. That's not what we're here for. That has to be stressed because we as a community have been struggling for the last four months with, and we're not getting into this tonight. I've had three months of it, and I'll, uh, I'll answer. I told them the next Shailam an answer on this is in 10 years, and that's how long a break I need. But uh, it's a schus. I think a kosh brach of a day. It's healthy throughout, and I'm able to answer the Shailas. But Lamaisa, there is a balance between the focus on being healthy and staying healthy and living healthy and then not forgetting to live. Is that simple enough? I'll leave it. You can all fight it out afterwards, what I meant by that, what that means. And that's not downplaying safety. And I just think we need a little bit more of a chizik depending on uh, this is a person has no good or bad. They're all hey, and everybody's good. Uh, but there are, as you've seen, different gradations on how much emphasis to put on one or the other and not a criticism of either way. We just have to remember we have to be doing both. Yes, Nishmartem is an issue, make Panasa is an Indian, and Basimcha is an Indian. Lamaisa, a theme you find in any of the Bali Musr. Desla says this over and over again. We'll see a few examples in a moment. Is that we hear to pass Nisyanis. And we think of Nisyanis, Amavino had 10. And you ask a fellow, when, when's the last time you had any science? Oh, yeah, I remember, um, you know, two months ago, I had a very difficult science. There's a family member, Lailena, that was ill, and there was a panos issue. We have to realize, and this shouldn't cause sadness, this should cause excitement, which should lead to contentment. That's the better translation of what Hashem wants in terms of simcha. And that is, you wake up in the morning, every minute of the day is any science. Every time you open your mouth, is he saying, what are you going to say? How are you going to say it? Are you going to accomplish something by saying it or hurt somebody by saying it? And every time you spend money, is this baltashchis? Is this chesed? Is this staka? Is this uh, bringing me closer to my goal in Brooklyn years or am I spoiling my kids? Every single thing we do. So tell that to some people. I say, 100 nisandas a day? That sounds very disturbing. But it shouldn't. That's called living. And we have a right to daven. You don't have to daven for anything in particular unless it's basic. If you're a Vedas Hashem, do you feel lacking? You should want to daven. You should not be able to wait till the next tefillah. And it should be an achrayas, one of the most interesting taiches. So Lord Danisayan is we beg HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I have what I think I can handle. Please don't let my Averis and any Ketrugim Rahman Zlan create bigger Nisyanis. Every time you get into a rut and Ruchnius, it creates another Malach, and you have now another Nisyan, it gets more difficult. Love of the Nisyan means to remind ourselves that if you want to fight the Eight Hour, never fight head on. Stay 20 steps in front of him and don't meet him in the corner. Many people say, ah, anybody could do that. You've got to fight like a man. I said, let them fight like a man. We know a lot about the Yetzirah, and all the instructions are love a day to stay away from him. Because once you're in his clutches, it doesn't really help to try to kick and scream and get out of it. So, love a day is like davening for Atachayne to have Chachma. 
to make the right decisions. And we have a thousand decisions a day. We have to look at them all through the prism of what is important for my Ruchnias, the Ruchnias of my family and my community. And is this going to bring me closer or not? All our tefillahs should be based on that. With all that, we have another possibility. And Mirta Melio has quite a few pages on this particular sugya. He focuses on Chana. And that's why, obviously, this is going to be the first example. We're talking about, how long should I daven? So Chana waited decades. He's davening and davening and davening and davening for a child. And seemingly, per the shayel here, the answer seems to be no. Can I stop now? Well, she could have stopped. When that time is on her, she would have lost out in giving birth to Shmuel and Avi, and we possibly would have lost out on somebody of that madriga, of that caliber. And she continued and continued and continued. What triggered the success? Why is it punk this tefillah? She got a bracha meili. That helped, but that wasn't the whole story. What triggered that at this point she was successful? So it's a combination of there's a number in Shemayim, how many tefillahs, and how much mysterious nefesh you have to go through, and she was suffering from panino, mental l'shem Shemayim, and she went through a lot to get there. And, of Desla says, at this particular point in Klaisol's history, there needed to be a change because they had been in the period of the Shaitan for 350 years, and he brings down the Radak who holds the Pelegish Begiva, and Pesel Micha were at the end. That's Machalikis and Mepharshim. He goes with the Radak. The Radak says it's at the end. They just had two disasters Pelegish Begiva and Pesel Micha, and now they needed a king, and they needed a leader who can now transition from the Shaitan to appoint a Melech. And she acutely felt this chisarin and Klai Yisrael, and she felt the lack of covet for the Shechina, and she knew Klai Yisrael needed it. And now she daven, she says, I want somebody, who do I want? So we would say, we would daven, we want a child. Okay, perfectly understandable. And we wouldn't falter for that. But his rayas, you can't argue with. First of all, she had the child, she promised beforehand, she'd be makdashim lashem, and they didn't travel to the Mishkan, back and forth, by car. So as soon as he's able, like three years old, I'm going to bring him, and goodbye. Because she only had the schus to ask for it. She felt 20 years went by. <laughs> Obviously, it's not really in my mazel to have it, and this is one of his many examples where the mazel can be changed by tefillah, and sometimes tefillah is needed, plus a dire need of somebody else that will give you the schus if you're really trying to help other people, which is an amazing concept that we can use. We might not be able to help all of Klaus at one time. But if you're davening and you really try to internalize that the extra money or the extra gazunt and, and fact that you can go with less sleep because you're going to help more people, whatever you're asking for, if it's being used for your ruchnias, that's fine. Your ruchnias is helping other people. Every time you learn more, you're helping Klaus Yisrael. Specifically, Chana felt that she's got to contribute to the next dar, and while she's asking, she wants the leader of the next dar who's going to have to change the whole mechanism of leadership. And she said, he's not mine, I'm going to give him away, which she did. And the Bracha says she wants his Lushen. Quotes the passing of Satel, Amasech Zera Noshim, Zera Shemeshach Shnei Noshim Shalom David. That's quite a tefillah. I want a child, and now that I want a child, I want a child whose shakal can make a motion iron. No, once you're asking, nothing wrong. Ask the sky. But she felt, or she had, she had the shmaya to understand that there's something needed, and I'd like to have the schus to put it into place. 
And this, with all the mysterious nefesh and all the crying and all the davening, and X amount of time went by, and it was needed at this particular point in time, got her what she was asking for. That's his example, and that is a very, um, very unique way of looking at a bakasha to make it beyond yourself and to really, not fool yourself, but train yourself to understand whatever you're doing in Rukhni helps other people by definition. And if you actually make plans to use it for other people, that will be another source. If the answer is still no, either it's too much of an assignment for you and therefore you're not getting it for your own good, or it's not time yet and you need, or you have the option to keep going. That's example number one. Example number two. You know we're in big trouble where I see we're already 20 minutes into it and I only got the first shayla and I just skipped four pages. So that's why I keep coming back. Okay. Question number two. With a small item, I could really go till 12-1 because you all diving tonight already that you can go with less sleep, right? So uh, we'll see how far we get. Question number two. What are my obligations of Kiruv some of my friends are not doing that well and might not be a great influence on me, but I think I can really have a positive effect. That's a pretty loaded question. Sounds like it's from a bocher, but it can apply to an adult, a parent, a grandparent. And I picked this as number two because we're going to be talking about this theme of how to maximize our talents to spread it around and bring it to other people as well. So Amisha says in a very fascinating tshuva, he talks about giving time for Kirv. And Amisha says that he thinks it should be similar to Staka. And even though the Machaber says this is not well known, you ask anybody, how much Staka do you give? They say Meiser, everybody knows the word Meiser. Well, the Machaber says the shear is actually Chaimish, 20%. I've had many stairs of disbelief. So you look it up. It's the first machaber in Hilchas Taka. So the shear is 20%. And then he says, but yeah, but if you gave 10%, you yetzi. Now, a lot of people can't afford 10%. So whatever they give, they yetzi because not machayiv anymore. The guy seems to hold the 20% is a real din and the 10% is but yeah, but others say it's a hidden and the 10% is the ikar din, but those are the two numbers in Hilchas Taka. So Ramesha, borrows that, and here he talks about the mice, the 10%, and he talks about the 10% of your time. You've got to figure out how much time you have in the first place, which is not that easy to do, and 10% of that. If you're qualified to do it, everybody's qualified on some level, it depends on your qualifications and how that mixes with the person you're trying to work on. A kirv doesn't only mean kirv for chaykim, it can mean kirv for kravim, helping your friends who are from and helping them try to improve in a proper way where you're being without lacing into them because that's not going to work nowadays. You, I always suggest you tell them, you know, I've been working on the same problem for many years, which you probably have, and I struggle with it also. Why don't we work on it together? And do it in a smart way where you get their cooperation and you help each other out. So, Namesha suggests you should do it again be very careful with knowing your limits and knowing who you're dealing with because of the risk involved. Now, how much of a risk can somebody take? The negative vibes you're getting from somebody else 
could bring you down. It's easier, unfortunately, Loyalena, to get brought down before you bring somebody else up. Yetzirah works over time. So if, if it's a bacher and they're very young, usually the incubation period of their original aliyah and solidification of their ruchniyas is pretty important to hang around with b'nai aliyah. And you say, well, how can you tell everybody to hang around b'nai aliyah? If there is an inertia that everybody is trying to hang around with b'nai aliyah, that will hopefully have a upward pressure that everybody will try to be putting their best effort in. And it works that way. If it becomes the in thing that everybody's trying to, and they don't want to associate, they'll, they'll be nice, they'll say good morning, they'll try to help out when they can, but depending on how impressionable somebody is, you have to be careful about the risk. What's the din if you are a lifeguard? And um, okay, by a pool, it's pretty easy to jump in and get somebody, lay a lane if they need help. By a beach with an undertow and waves or off a ship and I seas, not so easy. When you take a lifeguarding course, uh, you learn that you have to, and they test you on this. I remember when I took it, they sent a guy who was six foot. I don't know what he was. I wasn't that tall then, and I wasn't very strong. Not then, not now. And I saw him, and I was turned back. 300 pounds, six foot five, six foot six. That's the guy they sent out. I told the head of the program afterwards, and I said, you know, with friends like you, uh, he says, no, no, I, I want to make sure you really know what you're doing. So if anybody's ever taken a course in Pested, you got to, he's supposed to feign like he's panicking, and you got to, he's going to use you as a flotation device, and you got to flip him over, get him under control, and slap him back to shore. That's not so easy. So there's always some risk involved. What's the din? Well, obviously, no, the din is we have lifeguards, and we allow people to go swimming, even at the beaches, so it's got to be mutter, both for the lifeguard and for the swimmers. Why is it mutter? There's a risk involved. And they're doing it for relaxation, exercise. The answer is we allow minimal risk, and if somebody is in trouble, we allow you to put yourself at some harm's way to be able to get them under control and in a safe place. How much risk so it's actually Machlegas Abavadi and Yishalmi. Yishalmi says, if somebody's in trouble, you've got to take huge risks. If you do nothing, he's not going to make it. And if you do something, maybe he will. Obviously, send somebody who knows how to swim well. And is trained for this if you can. The Bavli, it's a Shiloh way that Bavli is, but the Bavli seems to hold not so. The reason we know that is because the Beis Yasef brings down the Yishalmi. If you have Yishalmi, there's no Bavli at all. It's possible like the Yishalmi. So Beis Yasef, he talks about the Nyanei Shmir Sanefesh. And Hatzalah, he says, the Yishalmi says, you've got to do something. Ah, it's dangerous, but if you don't do something, it's very dangerous. And in the Mechaber, he doesn't bring it down, which is rare. So between the Beis Yasef and the Mechaber, he wrote the same thing. He decided there was a Bavli that argues and halach l'maysa, we paskin that you're allowed to take some risk because that's the nature of the fire, the fireman or the lifeguard or whoever's on duty. And even if you're not trained and paid for this, but you think you know what you're doing, also we hold there's a big mitzvah, and we allow a bigger risk than climbing a tree without scaffolding equipment for a lulav and We take no risks over there.
that the professionals do it, and it's only a mitzvah. It's a minute before it's focused, so don't climb the tree. When it comes to saving lives, we're willing to take some risk, but not like the Yushalmi is mashma 30, 40, 50% risk. We'll take something under a miramatsu, or at a miramatsu, 10%, 15%, whatever the case may be. Interesting shayla, you can clear, when it comes to kiruv, 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 kravim, there's some risk involved always. You can hear some insane things and some kfira and some negativity. There's always some risk. Would we allow as much risk as we do in a physical saving of somebody's life? Maybe we should allow more because I'm saving his work is that's more important. Or maybe less because right now, if I don't do anything, the guy is never going to die. Whereas in Ruchnius, it doesn't have to be my issue right now, and we're struggling with something. Hopefully, we'll get somebody better trained. And it's a very individual shayla, but Ramesha says there is a chiv to take time to learn with people. You don't have to discuss philosophy, that's less risky. When it comes to debating issues, there's always some risk involved, but I tell people Kirv is a very, very hush of a thing, and the schus is off the charts. If the person is too young and the person is dealing with a friend who is obviously same age, a big influence, you got to be extra careful. And you can mention it to, bam, you can mention it to other people who might be able to handle it. But Lamaisa Chayecha Kaidman, I think the argument is stronger in Ruchnius. As important as Kirov is, it has to be done with certain rules and regulations in place. Interesting, Raya Ladover. There's a picket Rabbelezer that talks about the um, tshuva process of Reish Lakish. And Reish Lakish, we know, was a highway robber, head of a gang. And he had uh, describes there him and his two friends. And uh, every night they went down to the crossroads and met people and explained to them that it's worthwhile for them to give to their cause because otherwise it could get messy. He never says Reish Lakish, even in those years, hurt anybody, but he was, speaking of six foot five, and he was uh, an imposing figure, and uh, I don't know if he was, but he was strong. And Lamaisa, they made a lot of money, and the Medjus describes that after a couple of years of doing this, he started thinking about life, and he wasn't really happy. Of course, he couldn't be happy. He's a pintaliyid. And he snuck out of the cave in the wee hours of the morning, per your question of law of the day in the Sion. Why did he sneak out of the cave? He should tell his friends, okay, guys, this is ridiculous. This is not a nice thing for a good Jewish boy. And Bugsy Siegel would agree with that in the LMMS, even though he was in that line of work. And I'm leaving, and I think you should come with me. He didn't do that. He understood these are his close friends, and... There's going to be a discussion, and it's two against one, and they might talk him out of it. So he slipped out of the cave, and then he met Rabbi Yechanan, jumped into the lake, offered assisted marriage, became a Talmud, became a Talmud clever, and the rest is history. Did you ever wonder? The end of that picket of Abelaza says that after many decades, Reish Lokish died the same day they died. Separate schmooze. That's a remez to the fact that they all had the same kachus and the same longevity, and the other two friends could have done They just didn't. Think about it enough. And Reish Lakish's Neshama goes to Gan Eden, and the other two go to Shol Tartias, which is the Lushan of the Pikachu Rebelezer. Did you ever wonder, did Reish Lakish go back afterwards to try to bring them back? So I don't know what happened in later years when he became the Amara Reish Lakish, but in the initial years, I could be sure that he probably asked Rabbi Yechanan, you know, I feel bad. This is really now I'm living. 
and I have two friends who are still up to no good. Should I spend my 10%? Well, Moshe says in the tshuva, 10% fakir. Rabbi Yechonen said, later. And he probably tried it later. And it didn't work, it didn't work, even though Rish was very convincing. And Rabbi Yechonen himself said that at this stage of your life, you can't do it. The reason I'm mentioning this is because through our trilas, which is the Hagdama, we're always looking for our drocha. We're looking for ways to use our kalim and ways to use them safely. And we always have to look and look again and recalibrate if we're not using it to the fullest. And if we could be helping somebody, helping them with the ruchnias and doing chesed with them, we have an achrayis to do so. But it has to be done safely. And Rav Desla says, but I'll mention it quickly. You should see it inside. It's uh, breathtaking, this whole shot. But Acher, we know, is Alisha Ben is the only Tana who went off the derech. He lived at a time, the worst time of the Shemad, the Romans. He's under a lot of pressure. He cracked. Taisus brings the Yushalmi that uh, when he was in Yeshiva, he was actually listening to Gaisha music and had philosophy. Books, Greek philosophy books on his lap under his Gemara. He was smart enough to ace every Bechina and he still was reading the philosophy books. Um, he didn't go off the derech then, but the foundation was Shvach, and then his father promised that he would dedicate him to Torah because he saw the fireworks the Rabban were making as they were sitting at the table at the Bris, which was Shalai Lishma. There were some cracks in the foundation, and when the going got tough, he cracked. And he went really off. He still, Rameir went along with him. Rameir's Haverim Hatainas. He said, I'm just taking the fruit very carefully, leaving the pits, which only Rameir could do. Whether you're allowed to do that. Some place can say we don't pass like that, and some say we do, but only if you're Rameir. So it's not Nagea to us. So Rameir felt horrible for him, and he was always trying, and he was, well, tell us, they're walking one day, and with Shabbos, and Acher, who was still. And Eloi, and remembered everything, even though he was Machal Shabbos, but for Hesia, he was walking with our mayor, and he stopped all of a sudden, and he says, our mayor, you have to stop. Ad Khan Tchum Shabbos. So you have to stop. I'm continuing. So he had enough respect, at least for our mayor. They had a very close relationship. When he died, Rameir begged him, Chazarbach, and he cried, and Rameir says, I think there was some Yehuri Tshuva. Lamaisa, when the Shama went to... The base in Shamayla, which happened a second later, if that long. So this the, the first and last time the base in Shamayla didn't exactly know what to do. Usually, unfortunately, there are only very two clear-cut directions, and it's not much of a suffix. Uh, they don't know what to do because his kaya so they couldn't put him in Gehenim, is too much Taira. And they couldn't put him in Gan because he's Machal Shasvahes. He was an apicarist. He used to go into yeshivas and take Bachram and take them out of yeshiva. It was, it was bad. But his Kayachatayr, you understand? If his Talmud is our mayor, you get an idea of who Alicia Benavuya was. So he was in limbo. And our mayor felt so bad, he said, I, they got to let him into Gehenim, otherwise, never going to get a Kapara. So he said, when I die, I'm going to make sure he gets into Gehenim. That's a Talmud. Sort of, I guess, if you look at it that way. Uh, it's better than being out in the cold. And he said, Ryla Dover, when I die, you will see smoke coming out of his cover. And Marmer died, and there's smoke coming out of the cover the next day.
Gavaldik, he went to Gehenna. Don't quote this out of context. Um, but so far, so good. And Rabbi Yechanan, who was two days later, Rabbi Yechanan was a Talmud of Rabbi, who was a Talmud of Rabbi Meir. But he had a Shaykhist Acher because the terror came through this line. And he made a comment. His lashon over here, he wasn't tining a Rameir. Is it a Gevura to have your Rebbe burnt? Now, he didn't have a tain of Rameir. He said, it's a tain on us. We should do more. That's the first step. It's too dangerous already. We've got to do something. So Yechanan said, when I die, the smoke's going to stop. And he died, and the smoke stopped. Why? Because Rabbi Yechanan said, as quoted in this Gemara, when I die, I'm going to go, I'm going to take him by the hand, and he's coming to me, with me, to Elam Haba. Yechanan was an honor, but he knew where he was going. And I'm going to hold him by the hand, let somebody stop me. Pretty bold. And the smoke stopped. So Dessler wants to know what exactly was, there's no machlekes, what was our mayor doing? Why couldn't our mayor do that? Why did our mayor take him by the hand? Our mayor. He says, Rav Meir in the element of Shammas couldn't get that close. This is my interpretation of a very deep Indian in Kabbalah. I think this is what the Mr. Meir was getting to, but he couldn't get that close to him Be'elam Azeb because it was dangerous because he was still learning from him, but like his Chavarim said, this is too dangerous and he's going to have a bad effect on you. And Yeruchni is. Rav Meir said, I have to know myself. I do know myself. I can handle it. And he did handle it. And there was no ill effect. But he couldn't get that close. And that echoed in the element of Shamas, so he couldn't take him by the hand and bring him back up. What can he do? What can he accomplish? He says, I can accomplish that when I go there, they'll let him into Gehenim, because what is Gehenim? That's a good question. There are many answers to that. What is Gehenim? Gehenim is the suffering when you see what you're missing in your Ruchnias. You see the distance in you and the Shekhinah. Now, I... I hope none of you are smiling when you hear that. Oh, that's, that's what it is. I don't know if you're smiling, Jay. I couldn't tell. But uh, that's not good news. Picture the most jealous moment you ever had in your life and multiply it by 20 million. So you're not jealous of anybody in particular, that too, but you're, you're angry at yourself. I want to come to the Shekhinah. They're not letting me anywhere near. That's the biggest, the worst pain possible. Adessa says Acher didn't have that pain because he had so much sepik from his Torah. He didn't feel that pain. Ah, he did all sorts of Averas, but he had so much Torah, he didn't feel the pain because he had that sepik and ruchni. So it was automatically, you're learning Torah, you're learning about the Shechina. So he had that attachment. This is an amazing concept. So he couldn't go to Gehenna, he couldn't experience Gehenna. So our mayor says, when I go... I will fix that because I lived in his door. I was his Talmud. I was there by the Shmad. I was there by all the horrible things that are going on by the Romans. And I was also under pressure. And I stayed firm. And when he sees me, and he sees my neshama, he'll understand that he's taka missing something, that he could have done it also. And that'll be his Gehenna, and then things will get moving. Comes up Yechon after a couple of days, he says, okay, that's a lot of Gehenna. I can go get close to him because I had no danger in life, and therefore I could take it by the hand and I can now bring him up. That shows you the achrayas and caring for people, how we have to put, I'm using the word kirov, but kirov means just every morning 
getting somebody excited about the learning, getting somebody to come to Davin and getting somebody to pick you up. I don't want to give away all the secrets because then you'll know how I'm trying to convince other people. But if you have a friend who's not showing up to Minion on time, not just once or twice, like for the last 25 years. So if nothing you said worked and you happen to be better at it, everybody's wired differently. So maybe, uh, you know, say, I, I really need help over here. Can you pick me up? Now that resonates better in Muncie because you have to be picked up to go somewhere. He says, no, I live down the block. I don't take my car. I can't find parking. So that might not work here. But think of something to draw him in. You're not putter. And draw the lines where it's becoming a chisarin in you when you're hearing things and watching things that are affecting you and you can't be misgaber. That's when it gets too risky and you have to say, I can help, but I can't put myself and my family at risk. This is a decision we make with our children all the time and with ourselves. And this insight with Ramey and Rabbi Yechelen shows you how complicated it is. So that is one small aspect of our obligations in Kiev and the risks associated. Let's go to the third question. This is uh, similar to the first in terms of davening, but very apropos for the times. I have been very on edge and not as productive as I'd like to have been during the corona pandemic. Unfortunately, I think we could all uh, say that to some degree. It's been difficult. And I still feel that I will be in limbo for the foreseeable future, perhaps a half a year, a year, a year and a half. What if they do not find a vaccine? What if it doesn't work? What if they don't have enough? What if the virus mutates? The question goes on. Now, you might say, this guy is really out of, bent out of shape. I can't tell you how many times I hear this a day from very normal people. So what can we tell ourselves? And I think uh, everybody is nervous. Everybody's still on edge. And Kosh Baruch Hu can have it disappear as quickly as it appeared. Yad Hashem Tiksa. Hashem could send a vaccine. Hashem could, Rahman not. Hashem can mutate. There's so many possibilities. And this goes back to what we mentioned in the beginning. There's uh, living safely, and there's uh, due diligence, and there's neshmartem, and there's all the good things that you could do. And there's also living. And this person who asked this question and the hundred others who asked similar questions are quite normal, good people from people normally functioning pretty well. And how do you start dealing with this? Because if we don't deal with it better, our children, who they're going to be probably books and studies written on this, you know, the effect of, and it's, I, I can hear, it could be an issue, the effect of uh, a very pressurized situation on children who were in their developmental stage. I'm still in the developmental stage, and maybe most of you are also, so it has an effect on everybody. And I knew in mid-April when my grandson, who was all of seven then, seven and a half, I guess, talk about optimism. Did you ever do this study? I, I have this rule all the time. You ask a kid under 10 how old he is, 
He'll give you fractions and fractions upon fractions. I'm seven and three quarters and seven and seven eighths and seven. It sounds like he's uh, trading the stocks or something like that. He's mama's giving. He's almost eight. And then when I talk to anybody like over 50, they start rounding down by decades. So, okay, I, I get that. That's fine. But my six-year-old grandson uh, came in and uh, <laughs> he said, uh, I see him all the time. He's talking to his younger brother. And his younger brother must have mentioned the word corona. And I heard him giving heavy musr. He says, you mentioned that word one more time? <laughs> okay. He was giving them over the head. <laughs> I don't think he fathomed exactly what, but he really got upset. So yes, it could, it could have an effect. And the only way to temper this is going back to the basics of Bitach uh, Namuna. And... I'd like to mention two things. There's so much to say about this, but it's a very practical question. I feel like I'm a limbo, like I can't make plans. I can't, what's going to be? So the same people that called me with the Shilas about getting married and getting engaged and having uh, Zoom dates and going out and not going out and going in. And uh, I got some very interesting Yichud Shilas from people who were uh, going out in places that uh, were talking Yichud Shilas because they couldn't go to... Um, restaurant, they couldn't go to a hotel, and they couldn't go to, and, and rightfully so, and they're not interested, and I told them, you can't go, because it's not safe, and it's going to be a chil Hashem, no one's out, and so uh, there are a lot of uh, people in Klai Yisrael doing chesed with their various shops and businesses and the like, and, which I, you know, up, up the page, like 1700, and just on the unique COVID shayla, but the same and all these, are, but they just have an interesting twist. I mean, why would somebody call for help with Yichud Shaila from a hardware store? Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, but it does if you understand the, uh, the context. So I think most people intuitively understood that after the first week or two, this is not going away so quickly, and you need to live, and you have to figure out how to get this balance. So where do we have this in history? The good news is, very good news, you look in Chumash, everything's there, obviously. And not only is it there, but it's very highlighted. There's a very famous Ramban. Ramban wants to know, why is it that we have Tilet Tzalam Shol Halachas on an extra Yud, on a Halach Sinai, and a Remez, and then we have Maisav Asim Labanam, we have 100 Psokim, a different Shmuz. Why? That's the Iker in Amunah's following your Rebbe's direction and your master's direction and the direction of even though it goes against everything you stand for and Eliezer's whole chuk in life was to marry into the family and the answer was loy with an aleph per our first question Davin, 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 Davin the answer is no and he, like, he was Rosh Hashiva they're very very close and he brought up the shidduch and he starts straightening out his tie so, how's the time? I've been waiting decades for this and then Avinu says yeah go to my hometown in a far off land because it's, sorry to say, not going to be you. I'm going to go to my family because they're good, solid Ogdiyavarazar. I'm just raising the, uh, he didn't say it like that, but the Chudim drushes around, asked Akasha, and talk about crushing defeats. Like this is, he's looking forward and davening his whole life. This was a lawyer with an olive. And you can't explain it because, what do you mean? I'm the Rosh Hashiva. My daughter grew up in this house. The Yeshiva's over here. They're a bunch of Avdeh And what the Drushas Iran answers to this, if you can explain it to me fully, I don't, I'm 
my chisaron, of course. I, I don't really understand what the answer is, but um, it's something to do with the inherent good traits of the family, which has got to be the answer. Shaila is, what does that mean? Because they were of the Avadazara, and then Lavan tried to poison him. That's Avadazara and Ritzicha. And then Besul was up to other things. That's Gilead Arias. So it's a Chiddush Nifla, but Zui Darkish You try to understand the Sukkot as best as you can. And then Eliezer's Godless is Abmavinu is my Rebbe, and this is what he said, and that's the answer because that's the Devar Hashem. That was his Nisayan. In the Midbar, Kleisol gets out of Mitzrayim. So the next time, and this is uh, a running theme, is that whenever you have many, many psukim seem to be saying the same thing, obviously it's representing something that's very, very central to Yiddishkeit. What is that? So the Ramban says, why does a Pasuk give us such a long account of the Masos? The Aron got up and the Aron rested and they followed the Aron and they encamped and then they parked themselves and then they got going and it repeats it over and over and over again. So Ramban wants to know why is this so important? Because they once they followed the Aron. And number two, each family had like 97 children. Can you imagine just packing up the linen, forget the rest of their clothing. And the mother's in charge with, I assume, some help from some of the older kids, but still packing and unpacking. And they're following direction. They're told by a Baruch Hu, just follow the Anon. That's the representative of the Shechina and just follow direction. So Ramban spells out that they had to learn at the inception of Klai Yisrael's nationhood, the beginning of their Avedis Hashem, that the entire theme of life is following directions, whether we understand, whether we don't, whether we find it easy, whether we find it difficult, and when we find it difficult, Hashem is doing us a favor to give us more schar, and it's all in the Amelus, Lapum, Tzara, Agra. And we Americans don't do well with this theme, even though, like, we just touched up Yiddishkeit in, like, one sentence. And we don't do well with it, because everything's got to be comfortable, and Baruch Hashem, it has been comfortable, and Baruch Hashem, we're secure, and Baruch Hashem, despite everything that's going on, has never been more secure, and despite what's going on in the streets and in politics, it's still better than it ever was, but we're not used to this. So... Go explain to people, I wasn't born during the war, not even shortly afterwards, but I was able to spend 45 years with my grandparents, who were. And I'm not saying they didn't take it seriously. This is a serious uh, danger. We've got to be careful. But they said, like, all this, it's not me speaking. It's the people who lived in Europe, and then I even talked about the Holocaust. One, they, the one I'm quoting wasn't around during uh, COVID, but there's something similar, and they said, one day in Europe... One, one morning in Europe before any Holocaust was more than any of the Americans can handle in a lifetime. So to understand that we're a little bit weak due to the great Midas HaChesed that Hashem knows what we can and can't handle, and therefore we have the biggest chef on Brochan Chesed after World War II and after our experience in Europe, because how much can you handle? With that said, we're still here to understand that it's not supposed to be easy. We ask for Nanisianus, we ask for peace, security, health, and everything else, and we should ask for it, and can Yerbu should continue to be as gold said it. But Lamaisa, if that's causing us to look at Ruchnius like we look at our easy chair, and that if it doesn't happen as easy as plopping down, kicking the thing up, and falling to sleep quickly, 
with some music in the background and all the kids in the seventh bedroom, if our ruchnias now becomes something that if it's very easy, I'll do it, and if it's not, I'm not interested, then we need to ask for the Mashiach even quicker because it has a very, very bad effect on Amelus. And the Ramban says that HaKash Baruch Hu is never out to give us a difficult time. That goes without saying. It's even a chutzpah to say it like that. But the Ramban has such a lotion. And he says that the reason they had what we would call, looks like a haphazard travel schedule. And the Pusik spells it out. Sometimes they'd go and they'd pitch their tents, unpack, which took five days. And then the morning of day six, the other one would start going up, and they said, oh, I can't believe it, the other one's going up. Okay, pack everything up. They listen, Baruch Hashem. About all the complaining, complaining in the midbar, they, they listen. We understand a little bit more why they're complaining. It's a long trip, and the lacham akilokel. HaKosh Baruch was trying to train them, the Rambam said. What was the training? The training was, you can't get used to living and having Avedis Hashem on an easy chair. So even though they had mud falling and they had the unknown surrounding them and they were safe and secure and the enemy attacked and the missiles never came in and they had all the food and water they needed, but it was always just enough. The mud fell just enough. You couldn't store anything. Do you notice they're complaining about water a lot? Because apparently they have the water and then they don't have water the next day. You'll say, well, what's with these people? They had water yesterday, the day before. Don't they know Hashem has a good track record? I don't know if any of you ever traveled to the Sinai. I did. I was... Um, 12 years old, I think. And I don't even know if I was very deep into the Sinai. Probably not. But, you know, they, the guy who was driving the Jeep said we're going to the Sinai. I looked around. I was never, and I'm, I wasn't scared to go. I, I went on and I packed my canteen. You go prepared for these things. And all of a sudden, like three minutes into the drive, there's nothing around but sand dunes. So I start asking him, uh, how far is the 7-Eleven from here? So he keeps muttering something, these crazy Americans. And I had my canteen, and uh, he informed me there was no Slurpees along the way. And um, he, um, he kept driving, and we went further and further and further, and I saw more, so I caught a couple of cactuses. And I had my canteen, and I'm drinking, 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 and my canteen is low. I, I'm happy I had the experience, because I never had it again, and never had it before. Did you, anybody ever here worried where the next drink of water was coming from? I ran out of water, by the way. And I was afraid he was going to get lost. He said, no problem. I know exactly where I'm going. He couldn't know where he's going because there's no GPS and every sand dune looked the same. But he got us back, and I'm here today, I'm happy to say. But haladevahu. So Ramban says, they're packing and unpacking, and what happened the next time? So after unpacking for five days, they get going, and they listen, they're troopers. And then the owner goes a little bit, it stops. And then I can picture the husband comes home and said, um, we've been here already uh, half a day. Why don't you unpack? So, oh, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not unpacking. This time, the other can leave any time. I'm not unpacking. And then they would stay in that spot for like four years. So why would Hashem do this? Hashem is always there to help us. The answer is if we don't get trained that life isn't always, you could daven for it. That's the question we started with. You could daven for peace and security. We should daven for it. But understand that in life, it takes many different forms, but there's always going to be something distracting you and something weighing on you. And if you wait to start your Avedis Hashem and really get into your learning when everything is over, or you wait to make your plans and everything is over, it's never going to work. 
And not picking on Bacharim, but the Yitzhahara picks on them more than anybody else because they're public enemy number one because they're learning all day. And we all know we have a lot of Bacharim who are wearing long pants now. But if you remember that far back, I do because I remember eighth grade was probably right before my running with the sand dunes. And um, remember, you spent a lot of time eighth grade tumulting about Masifta. And then you spend a lot of time in ninth grade discussing whether you should be switching. And then in 12th grade, you're tumbling about this. It, that, some of that's natural. But you don't want to waste time worrying about each step. More than that, say, because you've got to live in the present. Chavaz Chaim was famous for saying, the black gamar in front of you is all that exists in the world. Concentrate on that block. Your diamond shaman esrei. Concentrate on the next block, not even the whole shaman esrei. That's all you have and ignore everything else. Without that... We can't produce as much as we want. And Ramban says that's why they had to get used to already in the Midbar that you think you know the plans. As soon as you're settled, Hashem will ask you to move so you get used to it. And as soon as you want to move and you want to move on and you're unsettled and you're bent out of shape, Hashem will keep you there for four years. That training came already in the Midbar and we have to go back to look for these parshas. Otherwise, you can't wait a half a year or a year waiting for a shoe to drop. And I also counsel people, like every hour in the hour, I people with this form of question in panic mode. And again, these are good, normal people. I said, how often are you looking at the news? So I, one guy said, I promise I don't look at it more than every 15 minutes. <laughs> promise, that was already good. I said, every 15 minutes? He says, yeah, it used to be a lot worse. I, I cut it back. You won't be normal. If you have, everything is the next thing, we're going to second wave and third wave and a fourth wave. It's good to be careful and know a little bit what's going on, but who has time to do that? You're already you're supposed to be learning then. You're supposed to be working then. Something else that will benefit, it's not good for your health. And it also runs counter to the Ramban and to every other lesson learned in Chumash. So the answer to this question is nobody knows. There is a vaccine, they'll have enough, the virus mutates, the whole thing will go away very quickly. We don't know what Hashem has in store, but we do know that all this is training because COVID, out of the picture completely, emits Hashem. Regular life, we're doing this too often. Every stage of life, we're spending tremendous amount of time worrying about the next stage instead of worrying about the mitzvah right in front of you, the tefillah right in front of you, the chesed right in front of you, and the blot right in front of you. We only have a few minutes left, so we're going to skip another 20 pages, and I'm just going to get to a few quick summer halachas, which, if I say quick enough, will leave everybody in complete disarray, and uh, I guess it will be food for thought. So we'll start with the food for thought. Uh, the number one shayla, which I'm unhappy that I didn't receive more, used to be most of June, every single child from eight and up would ask me the Shaila. Unfortunately, this year camp was very complicated and not everybody went, so I got the Shaila less. But those who asked me, who had asked me another year, said they're re-asking because they finally found a way to go to camp, but they're stuck in some hotel somewhere in that very little room, and therefore they're re-asking. The Shaila was in past years, and now when I get there, can I put the food under my bed? So you all know, we don't put food under the bed. To the extent of not putting food under the bed, we don't 
even though whether but the Ebed, we should eat the food. That place can say, yeah, that place can say not. Baltashkis, the Shadavan is the Reisa, so there's more to make them. Put in a box seal doesn't really help too much. One sheet holds it does, most sheets hold it doesn't. But I found it interesting the people were asking now, I'd asked before, I said, don't you remember what I said last year and the year before? I said, yeah, but we have now even less room because they're not in our regular campus. They finally figured out for 20 years, they found a place to put it, and now they're not there anymore. Okay. So I proposed just something to think about the last young man to ask me. I mentioned this a few years back. I said, you know, a lot has changed from when I went to camp, and it wasn't that long ago. When I went to camp, first of all, the bungalows didn't have air conditioning. I'm not saying all of them have now, and I'm not accusing anybody of such gashmias, but um, when yesteryear they had camp, uh, they had uh, what you can maybe call a canteen, but they weren't making hamburgers and hot dogs every night and serving pizza with two different areas in the cafeteria for fleshiks and milchiks. And uh, uh, the canteen sold a couple of things if you got lucky, and then we brought food. I said, why are you bringing food? Part of the, I picked this question. I have 50 of them here. I picked this question because there's a Muslim behind it also. Don't put the food under the bed. And it's really, it's a serious shayla. It's an Indian Kabbalah. But both like, we don't put food under the bed, and it's not healthy. Lamaisa, why is everybody bringing so much food? The answer is the old man syndrome, the same thing. Manachal. So I asked him, I said, I happen to know in your camp they have, can I know her a canteen that would put the catering service in the Helmsley Palace to shame. So he said, what's the Helmsley Palace? I said, you're really young. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so he said, yeah, it's very expensive. I said, very expensive? You're paying your own way? I was already getting impressed. He said, no, but um, I once came home with a bill that had many zeros on it from the canteen. My father mentioned maybe next summer you'll uh, bring some of it up. I said, okay, let's keep it off aim issue. We'll have to find a place to put it. That's not where it's coming from. It's coming from the, you have to, the mindset is we all, I'm not blaming them. We have to have the food in the freezer and the second freezer and we have to store up. And then as you all experienced in the last few months, uh, the beginning, people storing up is not the word uh, because the, they thought the sky was falling in. And I can't tell you how many people have called me and asked about the Shailas of pulling back on the Meiser, not because they don't have a job, because they want to spend an enormous amount of money stocking up. This is already a few months in, where it's pretty clear to me, and I unfortunately have to look at the news, not every 15 minutes, but I know what's going on. I said, I assure you, there is not going to be a problem with the food chain. At that point, it was pretty posh. So he said, no, no, he just heard a fresh rumor 15 minutes ago, because he's only looking at every 15 minutes that there might be a problem with the meat. I said, even Lu Yitzhu has a problem with the meat. What happened to all the cans of salmon and all the matzah and everything else he brought into the house? He said, I can't eat that all the time. I said, meat? So, Baruch Hashem, we live in a wonderful, affluent, free society, and we have to thank Hashem every day for it. We also have to keep in mind that a lot of these questions come from the fact that we're very pampered. I'm just as, um, I'm not excluding myself. And we're not going up 20 madrigas in this regard, but the short-term goal is to at least get the convenience factor. Everything we created in the world today, every gadget is to save you time, which it never does. We've never had less time as a society. And to save you the schlep and to make it more convenient. 
So this guy told me, I never heard the word before, this is years back. He says he's got this new chair, that's why I'm picking on the easy chair, I'm thinking of him. I have an easy chair in my house. Uh, I'm not saying I sit in it, but uh, I would in theory if I had time. And he said it's good, it's really geschmack. Every Lel Shabbos he goes and he slurns in it. I said, you what? He said, I slurn in it. I said, excuse my Amaratzis, I, I know a little English, a little Lashna Kedish, a little Aramaic. What's that? He says, well, that's when you sit in it and you sort of like sleep and learn at the same time. And I learned a new word. So that's very American. That's that we can have our cake and eat it too. And Rav Dessler and every other one of the Bali Musur, just quote Gemara after Gemara, that we're here to work, and if you really want to be happy, you work hard. That's the from version of no pain, no gain. But no pain, no gain is a real hashkafa. You can't accomplish anything, not in Gashmias, and certainly not in Ruchnias, unless you understand that every Nisayan, even though your initial question is we try to avoid them. Yes, we do. We should dive in every day to avoid them because we have enough on our plate. But the ones we're dealing with understand that you're here to conquer this, and that takes focus and work. It need not be panic. And you don't have to think of the Nisayan tomorrow and next year and what's going to be down the line. You have to think of the Nisayan right in front of you. And if you're sweating a little bit for the Nisayan right here and you understand that it's an exciting opportunity and excitement speaks to you in terms of accomplishing and contentment, then you're beginning to understand the chesed elyon of what Akash Baruch Hu gives us all the time in terms of the choices we have, the bechir we have, and the excitement in trying to be misgaber on a lot of the things that are built into such a society. I will end with the other example, which I'm not going to address now, but please remind me next year. Uh, is, there's a great sport, one of the only sports, if you call it that, that's great for social distance in camps because I think the original rule, which nobody keeps, and that's part of the problem, is you have to be at least six feet away. And that is the sport where everybody goes and they spend the afternoon shooting their friends in paintball. Um, that's a, so, so the good news is it's not basketball or football. You don't have to hug the guy. You don't have to stand over him. It's pretty good for in a COVID situation. The problem is that I've been asked to Shiloh many times and enough people uh, told me about it that one of the few things before they asked, I told them there are far better things hashkafically and halachically that you could do with your afternoon. If you're an avid fan, if you want to know what it's all about, talk about Shaloh Asanigoy. They're magazines, probably one of the most kosher magazines you can ever see because it's all, well, I can't say it's all men. I don't, don't look at the magazines. I can't vouch for that. But it's basically a war magazine, people dressed in khakis. It's all about rifles and people shooting people and, and strategy and how to take over. And I understand capture the flag. I was in camp also, as I mentioned. So that's fine. I understand touch football, okay. Tackle football, similar Shaila, it's a bit dangerous without equipment. Shooting at people already, even though they say they're doing it in a good fun, I've interviewed hundreds of people who played it pretty seriously. And they say that the good news is we're friendly before, we're friendly after. During the game, it gets pretty vicious. Um, and I said, but the rule is nobody's supposed to get hurt. The rule is you're supposed to be shooting at X distance. And every time I mention that, they give me a look like, nobody does that. That's no fun. What you do is when the guy's about to surrender, you close in on him at point-blank range. And I gave a sheer one time at camp about this. And the head counselor came over to me and said, did you know that... Uh, 
that tonight, uh, this afternoon, we're going on a, like a major, major paintballing thing. We're going to have light at the night. It's going to start in the afternoon. It's the whole plan. It's going to be a war game at night, a day. You got a whole elaborate plan. Did you know that? I said, honestly, I didn't. Somebody had asked me the Shaila. I guess that's why he asked me. So I said, well, I guess you're not canceling the trip now. I said, there's an incident there, right? So Chavolos, Atzma, and you can't be Michael. The Gemara has three Makaris, Achazimchem and Achazechem, a Makar from Nazir, that the Nazir has to bring a carbon just for a Kapar from Mazir from Yayin, which isn't too difficult, especially for me. It doesn't drink the stuff. But even for people who do, uh, not that, not even Chavolo. And Baltashchis, you can't be Chavi yourself. Ramesha struggles with taking a blood test, with giving blood. Take a blood test for medical needs. One of the shots we didn't get to is. I had a doctor in the shul who's very close to me and kept asking me, did you take a blood test? I said, what for? I'm busy dealing with the shy as everybody else's blood test. He said, why don't you find out if you have antibodies? I said, I like being anti-anybody, that's first of all. And second of all, I, I never had it. Why should I? So he said, no, it could be a mylo. If you're giving plasma, it's a mylo. You need an excuse. You can't just go take a test. Ramesha says you can't even give blood. He has an excuse. The guy was getting paid. And maybe he has a whole long truth to explain it. He has a simple blood test, a prick, and that's it. Akadekach. Anybody who tells you in paintball they're not doing chavola either never saw the game or plays it and is lying. I'm talking about huge welts. And anybody who doesn't have any welts either hid behind the bushes all the time because he's a coward or has such a sharp shot that he killed everybody else and nobody got near him, more than two. So I gave the share. I said, look, you're not calling enough to call enough. I happened to be standing in the parking lot. This happened a number of years ago. A good camp. They met well from people. I think it's the last time they played. I happen to be standing there parking lot. All of a sudden, four buses come back, and I say, oh, mom is my mazel. I'm here to greet the war veterans. So they get off the bus. I wasn't in Vietnam, but if I was, that's what it looked like. They had two guys getting off on crutches. They had guys with bandages around that. I kid you not. I said, what happened? He said, Rebbe, he says, next time I'm going to ask you for a bracha, not a klala. He says, it was a disaster. I said, it was mom is bad. He said, yeah, we lost. That, that was really what was bothering him. But... Uh, of course they had. Well, you can't, if you fire from this range, the paintball explodes, this is, if it's good, and it hurts. And I there's not one person who didn't admit to me after cross-examination that, yes, it hurts, but don't worry, Rebbe, it's only a short-term sting, and the welt goes down after a week or two, nothing to worry about. I said, yeah, except for the Sugin Baba Kama about being chayvul other people than yourself. So uh, on the one hand, that's the only sport... Today, you're supposed to social distance, and you could shoot from afar. Maybe this will bring back the sport, because now we have a heter if you really shoot from far. But uh, I think it's a serious problem, and I think ashkafically, the whole excitement of shooting at people is not lefi ruchenu. We were never good at war. It's a problem with Sholem and Amalek. We're never good at this. Maybe sometimes we have to be, sometimes not. We're not good at this, and we don't want to get good at this. Um, one guy tries, he says, yeah, but in case we ever need it, I've got to know what I'm doing. I said, you're not going to be handling a paintball rifle. He says, it's more or less the same. I said, that I agree with. So we have to find a different sport to uh, socially distance. I think Frisbee has to be brought back. So if anybody knows what the rules are, let me know. Keep up the good work. And we have to mechazik ourselves, mechazik other people, and worry about the blood in front of us, and we'll be, we'll be okay. Thank you for listening.